uh, chapter 5 is where we'll be, Ephesians 5. And before we get there, we've been focusing uh, a lot on being in the family of God. And if we uh, can really think a lot of times about how much we are in the family of God. Uh, we've had different examples and we'll continue to have different examples of being in the family of God. And last week we talked about uh, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And the whole Bible has this climax, this this big climax at the end of it that is the marriage supper of the lamb where the groom the bridegroom and the groom will be united in the end which is the church and jesus and we really have to think about you know god desires us god really wants us he he, he yearns for us just as the the bridegroom yearns for the bride uh, but there's also the the bride's thought process as well in this and uh we had to think a little bit about marriage uh, today and how marriage works. You know, it wasn't man's idea. It wasn't man's idea to design marriage. Uh, Jesus even quotes one of the oldest pieces of Scripture. Uh, I believe it's from uh, uh, Genesis. Uh, I can't remember what chapter that is, but Genesis uh, or Matthew's, where he says that Matthew chapter 19, he says, Have you not heard from the very beginning he created man, he created woman, and man must leave his mother and his father's house and they'll be united and become one flesh? So it's, it's very easy for us to understand the thought process behind this with marriage. And it's very simple to think about back in the Garden of Eden when it was instituted and created. You know, uh, I can imagine uh, Eve asking Adam, do you still love me, Adam? And Adam thinking, well, there ain't nobody else. <laughs> I got you. And, but if we could really think that way with, with our marriage physically, with, with each other, with man and woman here, but the same way with marriage with us and God. With, there is nobody else. You know, God shouldn't come to us and say, we got anybody else to go to? We, we shouldn't have anybody else to go to. Do you love me? Of course I do, God. You've given me all these things. Uh, in other words, you know, the marriage, the idea of marriage is not just uh, the relationship between a man and a woman. It was first between God and His people. It was first between God and Adam when He created them in the Garden of Eden. So we really have to think about, in other words, this, this is created in the image of God's love for us. Marriage, and, and the whole aspect of it, is God's love to us. The whole thought process. And we look at Ephesians chapter 5, 22, is where we'll start at. And if you would, uh, please stand uh, this morning to pay reverence to the reading of the Word of God. And Paul writes this passage here, and we'd like to look at it. And we use it a lot in wedding ceremonies. And we'd like to look at it this morning a little bit. Ephesians 5, 22, it says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husband in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having a spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of the holy body of his flesh and of his bones." For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall become one flesh. 
This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for allowing us to come together here this morning. We thank you uh, for being a body of believers today, Lord. We thank you for uh, the many blessings you placed in our lives. We thank you for the scripture and the studies, Lord, that you've showed us, Lord. We thank you uh, for having that relationship with you, Lord. We thank you for the sacrifice on the cross at Calvary, Lord. We thank you for rising from the dead and defeating a death, hell, and the grave, Lord. I thank you for holding the keys to the kingdom uh, this morning for me and, and saving my soul this morning. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen. You can be uh, seated this morning. Now, with the scriptures that we're looking at, I believe God uh, gave us a marriage uh, not to just make us complete, not to give us a helpmate, not to give us a soulmate, not to give us a, a certain things, but I believe that God really gave us marriage so that we could use it as an example. We could see uh, the love through the marriage covenant and understand God's love to us in the same way uh, having that parallel. Now, uh, Paul uses multiple things here in the Scripture that we read that is parallel to the same relationship that we have with our spouse. Uh, as, as the head of the wife, uh, and Christ is the head of the church. We have subject to your husband, and, and the church is subject to Christ. Uh, and we, it says, love your wives just as Christ has loved the church. So there's a lot of parallels in the marriage institution that God is talking about, uh, that Paul is writing to this church here, but we often, uh, I'm, we're often seeing and we're trying to tell people how to love their spouse, and we're trying to tell people that we should love uh, our spouse just as Christ loved the church, and we should have these things, but I'm, I'm going to tell you, we don't understand that a lot of times. We, we, we skim over that scripture, and we use it in counseling, we use it in trying to help people, but a lot of times I myself do not understand that, that we're trying to tell people to love their spouse as Christ has loved the church. Uh, Christ loving us, the church, his, his people, the ones that have accepted him, are, is a big deal. It is a step up, and we, we can't really grasp it a lot of times because we, we, sometimes we don't understand it, but God desires for you to forever be His companion. He does. He wants you to be His forever. And uh, this picture became really clear uh, about some of the things that He said, some of the things about He loves us. When we were studying this, we came across a, a, a description of one of the old, the first century Jewish culture. In first century Jewish culture, the groom would go to his uh, possible spouse, the woman that he wanted to marry, and he would make a covenant. And he would make a covenant with her, and if they both agreed, they would fix a glass of wine, they would drink the wine together, and if they agreed, the covenant was uh, agreed upon, what, what, what would happen next is the man would then go, and he would go to his mother and his father's house, and he would build a room. And he would build a room on his mother's and father's house. And when that room was complete, as soon as it was done, he would go back to his soon-to-be wife, and the marriage ceremony happened at that instant. It was done and said. Now, to understand that, we look at John 14, 2-3. It says, In my father's house are many mansions. If we're not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, listen to this, I just told you this now. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Praise the Lord this morning. Just as he understood this Jewish culture in this day, that they went and they prepared a room, they prepared a, a mansion, they prepared a dwelling place. Once 
once this place was ready and ready to go, he was going to come back and get his wife. Just as Jesus is now preparing a place for you and me, when it is ready, he's going to come and get his bride, which is the church. Uh, Praise the Lord today. This is the image that Jesus left with his disciples right before being crucified. Uh, He gets crucified right after this. Understand something today, church. We've got a big promise uh, waiting for us. The bride uh, is going to be taken by the bridegroom uh, when the place is ready. And I don't know when it's going to be ready. I don't know if it's going to be ready tomorrow, uh, uh, today, uh, in 2,000 years. Uh, I'm not going to stand up here and try to tell the future of when he's coming back. uh, But one day he's coming. When it's ready, he's coming. And I hope that we as God's children are ready for Him to come back. I hope that we are the best bride that we could possibly be uh, to the bridegroom. In Ephesians 5, 26-27, part of what we just read, it says that He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word, that He might present it to Himself, a, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that it should be holy and without blemish. Now this passage tells us uh, His purpose uh, of laying down his life uh, for the church was to cleanse it, was to to be made perfect, to be made acceptable. Uh, We have to be cleaned up, folks. We are a dirty bunch of heathen folks uh, that can't do nothing right. I don't care who you are. You done slipped up this week probably. You done had thoughts you probably shouldn't have had this morning uh, before you got here. We are no good. Uh, The Bible tells us that our righteousness are as filthy rags in the nostrils of God. Uh, We can't be good enough, uh, uh, but praise God, the marriage here is set up uh, to be accepting God's uh, people. The glorious day that Christ comes to take back His bride, it says that we will be cleansed. We are cleansed, folks. Uh, We are cleaner than we'll ever be in God's eyes when we accept Him as our Lord and Savior. Now, the marriage is the most intimate thing of of human relationships. Uh, The imagery of marriage is used to describe Christ's relationship with the church because he wants to recognize just how deeply he loves us. He loves us. And sometimes we don't understand that. And we really have to go back to our spouse, our family, our relationships that we have. He, he wants to relate to us by using this example. Jesus Christ is head over heels in love with you. So Zach, that's, that sounds intimate. It is intimate. He sent His only begotten Son to die for you. That's how much He loves you. That's how much He yearns for you. We done talked about that last week, how much He loves us, how much He, he yearns, how much He wants you to understand your value. This crown of thorns was webs on His head. He was beaten to a cross, whipped, and within an inch of His life, crucified on a cross and died and put in a tomb because He loves you. That's what He did for you. He took upon all the sins of the world. Because he loved you, and that's what he wanted to do for us. If if he wouldn't wanted to, he could have got off that cross, folks. He didn't have to go up there. He chose it, and this this if he if he chose to get off, the wedding would have been called off. Ain't never been at one of those very strange weddings. I've never been to a wedding where they got up there that is called off the wedding. That'd be that'd been weird, wouldn't it? <laughs> I don't know if I've ever witnessed that, but that's what Je- that's what would have happened if Jesus would have got off that cross. He would have just called the wedding off. Forget this. Y'all are not worthy. Could y'all imagine? But he didn't. He stayed on the cross. He was crucified. And we weren't worthy to wear it. We were not worthy to put on these garments. In Isaiah 64, 6, it says, All our righteousness are as filthy rags. We're nothing. 
And if it all depended on us, it wouldn't be no wedding. It wouldn't. If it was us to, us to be righteous, if it was up to us to get clean enough, Jesus couldn't bear to spend eternity without us. Y'all, y'all know that? Jesus wanted to die for y'all? Say, Zach, I don't understand it. Jesus wanted to die for you. He wouldn't have came if he didn't want it. He wouldn't have left his throne on glory to come down here and suffer and go through those years of, of, of turmoil and strife and, and beatings and all these different things. He uses several words in Ephesians 5.26 to try to ex- illustrate what he means. In all her glory and all these splendid clothing and all these different things, I want you to think just for a moment. Ladies in the church. Now, we, we, we're, talking, we're talking a little bit this morning about the bride. We talked about the bridegroom some and him yearning for his people and his yearning for his bride. Uh, but, I mean, the women can understand this. I want you to think about uh, some of the women. If you've been married, you probably had a wedding dress. If we've watched enough weddings or been to enough weddings, you had a wedding dress, okay? Now, I don't know. I'm not trying to guess what you spent on your wedding dress, but there's been studies, okay? And I, I wrote them down. <laughs> Uh, the wedding dress costs average between $1,000 to $1,800 for a wedding dress. That's average what they're spending on a wedding dress. Princess Diana had over 1,000 pearls on her wedding dress when she got married. And we have to think a little bit about what's going on here. We, we're spending $150 to $300 on a, on a piece to go on your head, okay? I don't know. I don't know. I'm just reading the studies. We got $60 spent on a pair of shoes. We've got all this money wrapped up, and if you went and bought a designer wedding dress, it would have cost you thousands upon thousands of dollars uh, to get a designer wedding dress. Zach, what, what kind of point are you trying to make? I, I'm trying to help you to understand when the wedding is done, we try to think about why money is spent on things like that. We do. I do. When I look at that and we think about some of the things that are going on, why would you spend a large sum of money on a single article of clothing, a war for a single hour, on a single day, for a single event that will never be put on again, never tried on again? It may be put in a box up in a closet one day. And I'm not picking on y'all women for spending much money on a wedding dress. I'm trying to help you understand the thought process of why you did it. You did it. Because the wedding is your day. The wedding's your day. It's not the bridegroom's day. It is the bride's day at that wedding. Now, the bridegroom, the man, you know, he rented a tux or whatever, spent 50 to 100 bucks, and that's about it. Uh, he spent $150 max probably to, to get a tux for that day. But the bride has all these things. She wants to be her day. The wedding belongs to the bride. It is her day. It is the special occasion. Her desire of her heart is fulfilled that day. And she desires to what? To look her very best. It is the best she will ever look possibly in her life, in her mind. That is the best that she's going to look. And I have seen wedding photos of people, they just glow. I remember the day that I got married. I said it last week. I remember my wife walking down the aisle. I remember the dress. I remember how she looked. I remember the smile. She looked gorgeous that day. She's looked just as good since then. Yeah, I'm trying to get some points this morning. It's all right. But she was just gorgeous coming down that aisle. She desires to look her best. And no matter what the price, a lot of times it don't matter. They're going to look their best. The Bible tells us that when Christ comes for the bride, the church, she will be adorned in beauty. There will be perfectness. There will be all imperfections gone. There will be no blemishes. There will be no spots on that dress 
everything will be clean and white, perfect. It will be holy. And we, we remember last week talking about the ten cow woman, that woman that had to have ten cows give for her, and she came back and nobody could recognize her because all everything that was given for, it's the same thing for the bride on her day of her wedding. Everybody wants to feel important. Everybody wants to feel valuable. And the, and the Bible tells us that one day Christ will come for his bride, the church, and she will be adorned in beauty. Gorgeous. That's us. I don't know if y'all, I'm talking about y'all. I'm not talking about a fictitious bride. I'm talking about y'all. You will be adorned in beauty. There will be perfection. We, we think about all these different things that, that, that people go through, that women go through on their wedding day. And imagine how beautiful this gown of the bride of Christ will be. I, I don't, I can't, I can't imagine it. We, uh, we try to cover up different things. It says right here in our passage, it says we'll be without spot, without wrinkle, be holy, be blameless, be no spot, nothing on it. And we think about sin. And none of us can claim to be sinless. We can't. We've got sin in our lives. But without spot or without stain, that implies that we will be without sin. When we are caught up in the clouds, when we meet our Savior, when we have this great wedding day, there will be no stains. There will be no sin. It will be gone. It will be wiped away. He alone will cleanse us from this sin and will make us pure. And I think it's very interesting that I think about wedding days and I started thinking about the makeup that goes on on our wedding day. And all the makeup and all the hairdos and all the, the nails and everything has to be just right. You know, when Christ returns, He ain't going to use no makeup. He ain't. He ain't going to have to do your hair. He ain't going to do your nails. You're going to be perfect. Because you follow Him. He is going to make you perfect. And I don't understand that. I don't. That's a big wonder. It talks about it even in Paul's writing. It's, it's kind of a, a wonder thing. It's a glory thing. It's, a, it's His power being reigned upon us. I can't tell you how he took the dust of the earth and formed man, and I can't tell you how he's going to wash us white as snow and make us the most beautiful thing you've ever seen for my life. I looked in the mirror enough times to just look and say, God, how are you going to make this thing the most beautiful thing? That The bride of the church is here looking at the bride of the church, and I don't understand it. I want you to know that God will bless us. God will clean us up. We don't have to have Botox. We don't have to have makeup. We don't have to have anything. Aging cream. We ain't going to need it. He's going to make us perfect. In our earthly bodies, we've got scars and all these, all these things. We've got places. But when God calls us home, it's going to be gone. We're going to be perfect. When He comes for the church, He's not going to have to use those things. In 1 John 3, 2, it says, But we know that when He appears, He shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. We're going to see Him, and He's going to see us. Perfect. The idea isn't that the bride is in this state before the wedding day. We're not constantly ready. The bride, I want you to realize on a wedding day, the bride isn't dressed up for a week. <laughs> it doesn't happen like that. You know what? You know when the bride gets ready for the wedding? The day. That day. She's ready. God's going to come. You're going to be ready. And you don't have to, you don't have to do these things. God's going to do it for you. Ain't it good to know that He is going to do it? He is going to take care of it. He's going to clean you up. The idea isn't that the bride is in this state the whole time. It is the wedding day. The church will be in the state of glory. You and I will be without spot, without wrinkle, without anything wrong with us. We won't be, I, I, I'll use myself as an example, we won't be overweight. Can you imagine the scene 
and the wedding and, and the purpose and the highlight of all creation, what we've been looking forward to since the very beginning of time, we covered that last week, that's going to be it. The whole buildup. We stand by King Jesus. His, his, his heart is full of joy. And here comes his bride. He's been redeemed, been cleaned, been washed up, and made whole, been dressed in pure white, and wearing the righteousness of Christ in the kingdom of creation. My goodness, one thing I've noticed about people who are engaged to be married is they become obsessed with preparation. Even though I know anybody's getting married and they've got all these things they've got to take care of. I remember a week or two before we got married, it was, whoo. Man, we had a lot of things to do. I really didn't have a whole lot of things to do. I'm going to pretend like I did, but Kimberly, poor old Wayne back there, he had a lot of things to do to take care of. There was a lot of preparation that went on in our wedding. And most weddings, no matter how big or small, there was a lot of preparation to get to that point, uh, to get ready for the wedding. Now, we have these things and we're obsessed with this preparation, but I want to make sure that, that everything is right, that the dress is perfect, the hair is perfect, the makeup is perfect. It all needs to be just right, but why? Are we worried that the groom's going to say no? We don't... Do, Brides do not get flattered up, do not get nice looking, do not put on the makeup and the hair and get the dress on, worried that I'm going to tell my wife no. That's why she got pretty that day. I was going to say yeah if she showed up in blue jeans, okay? I said, yeah, I, I want to get married. Yeah, I want her. The bride does these things because she wants to put these things off. We are in love. And she wants to put forth her best. That's why she did it. That's why most of the brides are, are so dolled up and look so nice on their wedding. They want to give their best to their husbands. They want to put everything online, the best that they can possibly get. I don't care what it is, what it looks like. They want to put their best on to give it to them. And they want to show it to their groom. And we, we want to look our best for Christ. We want to have our hearts be pure. We want to have our lives marked with grace and with love. We want to be prepared for His coming. The same way that we want to be prepared, we want to look nice, is the same way that the bride gets ready for the groom. We want to have a life that reflects that we love them. We want to show them that we love them. It's not hard sometimes to understand that. But he's already proven his love. He has. I proved my love to my wife when I asked her to marry me. I want to marry you. And she said, yeah, and that might have proved it a little bit, but she had, she had to say, yeah, in front of a bunch of folks too. The bridegroom wants to marry us. He's already proven it. He's already went to the cross. Now, we have to make that life. We have to be in some sort of form here. We, we want to make sure that we are pure, that we are spotless, and we're, all, we're doing this because He loves us. But there is another form here of intimacy. It is a description of intimacy in this verse. It says, the two shall become one flesh. Now, I think that most of us understand here that this is a sexual union of what God is talking about here. This is the intimacy of marriage but I think it far goes beyond that. Sometimes we make that a simple thought process, but beyond a physical intimacy of using the word one flesh, I, I believe it's speaking about the intimacy in general. The intimacy that we have. It's alluding to the intimacy and the union with God. There is never a groom that was standing wherever they're standing at next to the preacher getting married that didn't have a grin usually. You usually have a smile. 
It's the best day, one of the best days of their lives. That they can stand there and they can grin. They can smile. They can have a big, big smile. They're, they're getting the apple of their eye. They're getting what they've yearned for. They're getting uh, so much. And, and they have this bride that's just dressed up and looking uh, so good. And you've recited your wedding vows and, and gotten ready. And likely you, you said something pretty much like this. All I have given to you forsaking all others to be yours alone until death do we part. But there's another set of wedding vows that you've said. There's another set of wedding vows, and Jesus said it in Luke 14, 33. It says, So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus gave you all that he had. Everything. His life. So that we could be free, so that we could be safe, so that we could accept him. When you made that commitment, did you mean it? When you made that commitment to Jesus Christ, when you said, Lord, I accept everything that you've laid down on the cross for me, Lord. I accept you. I love you. Did you really mean it? Did you? A lot of times we catch ourselves not really thinking through, not really thinking about how hard it is. How hard it is to be alone in your house. How hard it is sometimes to be with God, to feel special. And we want to look... Uh, just for a moment about things that uh, being at home alone with God. You know, sometimes we've got to take that special time in prayer. We have to have that one room. And we think about our rooms and we have a special place. I hope that you've got a special place that you can pray to God. We've got to have an intimate relationship. If your intimate relationship with God is a public relationship with God, that's not a very close relationship. You say, Zach, I have an intimate relationship with God because I get there on Sunday mornings and I worship the Lord and I listen to preaching and I go home. I want to tell you something. Public, uh, public showing of an intimate relationship doesn't work. If the only time that a couple was ever together they were in public, it wouldn't work. They don't have an intimate relationship that they're always in public. They have to have private time to themselves. You have to have private time with God. You have to have a time that you can get into a prayer closet, as the New Testament shows us, not to be going into a prayer closet and praying to Him, but we have to have this one room. You go into one room in your house, you've got a TV. You go into another room in the house, you've got something else. You've got a game, you've got this, you've got a computer, you've got food. We can pretty much go around our house and be constantly... Uh, attention taken away from our true uh, Savior, from the person that's going to come back and get us one day. And don't forget, you've got a phone in your pocket that you tote everywhere with you. We have so many distractions to keep us from thinking about God, and the things of God are not the same as God Himself. Many of us do Bible study and, and read our Bibles, and we think we've spent time with God. It's not really how it works. I want you to have a good friend... And I want you to have a good friend pretend that they've wrote a book about their self. And you go over to visit your friend. And when you go over to visit your friend, you pick up that book about your friend. And you sit next to your friend and you read the book about your friend. Is that a relationship? No. Jack, what's wrong? It's not a relationship to spend time with somebody and read about them. So don't think reading your Bible is you having a relationship with God. That don't work. So what is a relationship with God? We have to choose to spend time to be intimate, to spend time talking to them, to spend time looking for them, understanding their real desires, their real feelings. Maybe we're caught in this performance trap. We're trying to do so much to, to think that we've been accepted. And I've been caught in that trap where if I read a, a chapter a day, 
I'll have a close relationship with God. If I read through a Bible, I'll have a close relationship with God. And I'll tell you something, there ain't nothing wrong with doing those things, but they do not give you a relationship with God. You know about them. Uh, you can read about all the, the uh, celebrities in California all you want to. You can read about all these different people all you want to, but you ain't never going to have a relationship with them. If they ain't there, they're with you, and they don't know you by name. God knows you by name. He has a relationship with you. He knows you. He doesn't want you reading the book just that. I'm not telling you don't read your Bible. <laughs> but I'm telling you go beyond that. Have a relationship with Him. Have an intimate moment. Uh, the bedroom is a place for couples to have an intimate moment for their relationship. Uh, where do you have intimate moments with God? Where is it? Do you place a certain place that you have that relationship with God. This is where I have it. This is the place. You don't have a TV. You don't have a computer. You put your phone somewhere else. You get in there and you pray. It could be in your car going home. I don't care where it's at. You need a place to have an intimate relationship with your Creator, with your bridegroom, because one day uh, that relationship's going to be exposed. Uh, he's going to call His children home. Yeah, you're going to be robed in white. Yeah, everything's going to be perfect. But I want you to know something. I want to be ready for my wedding day. I do. I want to look the best I've ever looked. We have to really think about the covenant that we've made with Jesus, the day that you accepted Him into your life, the day that you said, Lord, I love you. Lord, I trust you. I trust in you. I'm going to put everything on the line for you. Everything else has been turned away. Lord, I'm going to look to you. Is it the same covenant today? Marriages fail the same way, folks. We can use this as a two-way street to understand your union with Christ is the same way with the marriage going on in your home. Uh, sometimes people get distracted. Sometimes people get their eyes on something else. Sometimes people pursue other things or other people. And it messes up their relationship. God's going to always be there, though. That's the difference. God is going to be there no matter what you do, no matter what you say, no matter what you've done, no matter who you've seen, no matter what you've went out and, my goodness, done with different things. God's going to be there. God's going to forgive you. God's going to accept you. That is the best bridegroom you've ever had in your life is the bridegroom of God. Us, the bride of the church, we don't have any better person that we can pour our hearts out to, that we can be intimate to. I want you to think about when you was in school, uh, if you had your little boyfriend, I think, hey, I was dating my, little, my wife in, in high school. We used to write letters to each other. Hey, how you doing? I love you. Uh, you look real nice. Uh, and we have these little, hey, even adults, they sometimes do it. Hey, it's real nice and intimate. They write notes to each other. Hey, darling, I love you. I, I think about you all time. I send my wife a little text and I'm thinking about you. Love you. I hope you have a good day. You ever thought, just sit down, take your piece of paper and write out just how much you feel about God? Zach, that's, that sounds weird. Yeah. That's how much you ought to love God. Go do some weird stuff. Say, God, I love you. I'm going to write letters to you. God, I, I, I'm going to cry out to you. God, I'm going to talk to you. There is a way higher level of thinking when you think about an intimate relationship with God than we, we, we were with a physical person. That is different. There is a spiritual relationship we have to have. He loves us. And we've already talked about the bridegroom. One day, he's going to clean us up, dress us in white, bring us to the holiest place that we can think of, and we are going to be united with Christ, and it's all because of him. I like to show my wife that I care for her. And I'll say things and I'll do things. And I won't do them for myself. I'm telling you right now, I don't do not do them for myself. 
We went to this place this weekend. I do. Uh, I tell you, I, I tell he just didn't want to be there as soon as we got there. I enjoyed myself when I got there. I didn't really want to be there. Did it because I love her. She's saying, you didn't act like it <laughs> while we there. But I did it because I loved her. What do you do for Christ that shows Christ that you love Him? You go out of your way to do things for Him. You'll drive so far out of your way to do this. You'll suffer through traffic, a parade going through the middle of a town at 12 o'clock in the middle of the day and I'm trying to get somewhere. Ruined the whole thought process of having a nice day. What have you done to get out of your way to show the bridegroom that you love Him? That you care for Him? That you yearn for them, That you have a, a certain ex- experience that you want to have with them? What have you done? We have to have those things. As they get a verse of some song ready. I want you to realize these people that love Christ, I want you to think about a prayer that you need to have right now, that commitment that you made, that I know that you've fallen short on, I know that you've cheated on God. I know that you have. You don't have to guess. You've cheated on God, you've done certain things, you, ain't, you haven't had the relationship, you haven't really spoke to Him in a while, you haven't prayed, but at this time, we can have a new commitment to Christ. Sort of like renewing wedding vows. We can renew that relationship with Christ. We can. Lord, I want to grow with intimacy with you. Lord, I want to be closer to you than I've ever been before. Lord, I want to, I want to grow this relationship. I want to be so close that I know what you're thinking and you know what I'm thinking. <laughs> what kind of relationship is that? It's a close one. It's a holy one. It's a spiritual one. Have we taken the time to try to build that relationship with God today. I'm glad that you can this morning. You can renew those wedding vows with the Lord. You can say, Lord, I'm sorry for what I've done. He's going to take you back. <laughs> He's going to say, come back. He's waiting for you. As we stand, what page you got? 165.